the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You know, musicians are very familiar with certain terms in in music. One term is the word unison. In other words, they're all singing at the same time and often on the very same note. And you've heard some of that, whether it's through a group or a cappella or something like that. So they know what it means to sing a song or a portion of a song in unison. I like those because I don't have to get uh, drawn off my key by listening to someone else sing a little bit differently. But it's not as pretty, it's not as wonderfully sounding unless it's done what we call harmony. That's another term that they like to use. And that means that someone else is singing just a little differently than the other, but it's all in the same chord so that they can enjoy that. And you know what I mean. It's kind of like the difference between the old-fashioned monaural record and that beautiful stereo surround sound that harmony then brings to us. And my, how our team harmonizes. And the little bit that I can hear from some of you that have had some music training and music appreciation, I hear you singing in harmony to some of these songs, and that's beautiful too. So unison is good. Harmony is a little bit broader. It gives us a little bit more perspective on the depth of the music and understanding of it all. But there's a third term that is sometimes used, and that's the term discord. I think you could already understand what that might mean. You have a chord, and it's not the same chord. And so when you hear that, it kind of sets you up against unison as well as harmony. So you have discord. Now, we know that God wants us to be in harmony and be in unity with each other, but Let me also tell you that sometimes discord can be helpful if it's handled correctly. What I refer to as discord means that there is perhaps a beginning of a conflict. Something is going on. Two people have different positions on something and they might be just standing firm on those. But sometimes if there's no negative energy and it's really driven by love, driven by understanding of the other person and wanting to understand the other person, then two points of view can be shared with one another. And over time, a greater understanding, so you might not have your way or my way, we might together blend and have our way, so we've moved from discord back into harmony, and sometimes into unity, and you know what life is like when you are in harmony, especially those of you who are married, or if you have a family that you live with, or maybe even roommates, you know the times that you're not in harmony with one another, maybe you're not even in unison with one another, and there's a lot of discord that's going on, the pain, the uncomfortableness, the tension, and you might live with that for a while, but for the long haul, you know it's not doing good to you emotionally, mentally, socially, and of course spiritually as well, so God definitely wants us to be in unity. I'm so glad that our church is a church that is in unity around the sound doctrine of the main core values and doctrines of the faith. We have harmony on some of the areas that we're all learning and growing as we come in with different ideas of scripture and we begin to learn and there's harmony here. I'm very grateful that we don't have at least members among members about church issues that there's any discord that's going on. 
Yes, there may be one person on one side of the room, the other on the other side of the room on an issue, but they're celebrating that they are at least in the room together, and that brings great joy. But that's not always the case. Over the years, I have been accumulating lists of what we might call silly things that churches will split over. And I thought I might read some of these to you today, just so you know how silly other churches go through these splits. Now, some of you, when you hear that, you are still carrying the wounds and the pain of a former church which you attended or were a member, maybe even serving in. And in that church, it went through a split. And so while these might seem like silly things that people fight over in a church, at the time that you went through those things, it were, was very painful. So I don't want to marginalize away or down, but at the same time, I, I want you to sh- see how some of these things can really be weird. Here's one. They argued over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Can you imagine that, that the church went through a split over how long the pastor's beard was? I don't know if he looked like the guys on Duck Dynasty or he had a goatee or what. They fought over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the same land for a cemetery. Now, I wish I'd have been there for that one to see how finally they voted. Cemetery, children's playground. Are they looking back or forward? I don't really know. Another one was a deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter. And so they decided to settle the matter after church in the parking lot. You can imagine how that probably turned out. And then there was a church dispute on whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. Now, I don't want to touch that, so I'm going to move on, but I'm sure that's important to women. A church argument, there was a church argument and a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. I don't even think they should have brought that to a vote. It should be there and it should be working. <clears throat> and set an hour behind. Oh well, anyway. Another one was a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinets to purchase. A black or a brown one, a two, three, or four-drawer one. I know this is ridiculous, but this is what was causing churches then to really polarize and uh, perhaps even um, uh, atrophy. It says, a fight over which picture of Jesus was to be put in the foyer. There was a petition to have all the church staff clean-shaven. I wonder if that meant the ladies too. I guess it did. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have shoes on during the service. I look at our worship people here. They all have shoes on. And I do vote for shoes, shirts, and pants. Okay, so make sure you wear all of that. But however the Lord would lead you. And then also, I like this one because they at least had a resolution. There was a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. And they argued so long until one person in the congregation got up and gave a dime to settle that issue. And that was over. Well, there are a lot of other issues. And I'm going to share with you two very big issues that split a church that I pastored years ago in upstate New York. But I'm going to save that for next week. The good news is it didn't happen, as you'll hear the story when I was there. But it was pretty big of a split in the community. And you'll hear what that was about as well. Now, we talk about churches in harmony, and we certainly want our church in harmony. So I ask myself, what are some of the things, um, dynamics maybe would be a better word, that brings disharmony? Well, I looked at my mom and dad and our family, and pretty much we rocked along. Our lives were, in my opinion, growing up, they were very boring. We didn't go on vacations. We didn't go to sporting events. We didn't go to movies. We just came home. We sat around the house and basically just looked at each other. and We did the same thing, same thing, year after year after year. But the time that we had our greatest discord, when there was a major event that happened that's pretty normal, such as it seemed like the most unhappiest time of the year in the Pons family was Christmas time. 
because it changed our routine. And when, when our routine began to change, then opinions began to come out. Our responsibilities had to be done. Projects had to be completed. There were ideas of what we wanted to do, planning and all of that. And once that happened, as it is normal in every family, there tended to be a little bit more, I guess, um, conflict. Those of you that live in that wild world of work out there, you know that when everything is rocking along, it seems to be okay, relatively calm, until you get a memo from the supervisors or upper management that shakes up the apple cart. I can find that in churches. At churches, it seem to be just doing the same old, same old, same old events, same old youth programs, same old children, same old music, same old message, same old people, same old pastor, same old building, same old, same old. It seems like in that church, there generally is a degree of harmony, and we celebrate that until you decide that maybe we need to uh, do something different to be more effective or do something better than we did before, which means we have to not do something the same old, same old way as we do. And some people are pretty good at that because they lived in a world of change and knowing that change is not always bad and if we handle it correctly, we can be better because of it. But a lot of people aren't because as we get older, we tend to just live in the same old, same old and we uh, use that as our comfort. We're protected emotionally by that and that's not necessarily wrong, but... If we just say it has to stay, stay the same way, I, I think it could really hurt us. And so I know that our church is in the middle or beginning our season of uh, Christmas. We know that we're going to be making some big decisions this afternoon on historical decisions regarding our church as we even go into the new year and the next years ahead. And for all of that, we might be celebrating that, and some of us will be really excited, jumping up and down in the center of the unity room. Others will be along the wall and saying, okay, it's, 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 it sounds pretty good. Everybody else is excited. It might be. I respect them. They're my friends. Okay, but I'm still a little bit uncertain. And that's okay, too. I want you to have the freedom to do that. And then once we actually um, engage, or we'll call it execute the plan, and it's actually now happening, uh, then it seems like the apple cart could be hitting some little bumps along the way. Not necessarily bad, but it might happen. So I'm sensing that the Lord has been leading us through the study of Romans and this beautiful journey, and he's sovereignly, God has sovereignly brought these truths to us at this time in the history of our church. So the good news is I'm not sitting in my office trying to come up with things to beat on you with with the Bible. I'm not a, a pulpit bully here. I'm with you. I'm learning all these things at the same time you are as I'm just going verse after verse after verse and I'm watching God work in our lives, work in our church, work in our ministry, work with our staff, work with our families, and we're all growing. So let's together get underneath God's word and learn some things about harmony and unity. Now some of you, I think you already know that unity, if I can use that word, unity is a very high value to God. In fact, I don't know if that might be in the top five core values of him. If you look at the, the deity or the trinity, you'll know that all three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all have three different functions. They're all three different, yet they're three the same. I can't even fully explain to you the trinity. All have different ministries, but they're all one. They're all God. Now, that being said, you don't have a fight between God the Father and God the Son. You don't have a father and son argument going on. You don't have a Holy Spirit now that's running all around trying to patch things up with the Godhead. They are unified. And they are unified, and that is our model. But in addition to that, when you trust Christ as Savior, the unified deity lives inside of us. So now we have the potential for that. Now, if you look even at God and you separate him from the Son for a moment, you'll notice that in Psalm 133, it talks about how good and how pleasant it is that the Lord says that the brethren dwell together in unity. That was an important thing with him. Jesus even prayed for the guys that were in front of him in the future church that we would be unified around God's word and there would be unity with us. That was an important commodity. 
When you go to the Spirit of God, you had all these people speaking a different language in Jerusalem, but when the church was now being born, the birth pangs of the church then, he then had everybody understand one another in the same language. And then from then on, you'll notice the teaching of the church was that people would have things in common or in unity or in unison with one another. There'd be harmony so that the church then would be the platform upon which the world would be reaching this coming from a unified family. So now you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But if you look at the Apostle Paul, he owned that whole concept of harmony. He owned it so much that he spoke about it to the church of Corinth, to the church at Philippi, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Colossae. And he did even more than that when he wrote to all the churches in Galatia, and all of it in those messages was the importance of having harmony with one another. God really uh, wrote the book on that, didn't he? But that's not all. If you want, you can go on to the writings of Peter, the writings of John, and you're going to find that it's all over the place, how important harmony is. So when I speak on this, um, while we're celebrating the harmony we have here at this church, um, I want you to know that harmony still can be very fragile. And it requires all of us to preserve the unity and the bond of peace. That this is something that we have to work at. This is something that we have to understand and we have to have a commitment to. And I hope that we all are learning because of the Godhead and because of our desire to glorify the Godhead that we will pay whatever price is necessary for us to have harmony. Now when I say that, for some of you that are listening that's even broader than this, that doesn't mean we have to compromise doctrine. It doesn't mean that we have to compromise perhaps things that we should be doing or not doing in our Christian walk based upon the principles of Scripture. But it does mean in a lot of those gray areas that Scripture doesn't speak about, that don't really rise and fall on a particular doctrine of eschatology or soteriology and all the different other ologies, that we would then show a lot of grace and mercy to one another. So if you have your little note uh, outline that I have in front of you, you might want to pull it out right now because I want to speak this week and hopefully next week and conclude a little, a little section here of, of Romans on the four marks of a church in harmony. I've already covered points one and two, so I don't need to elaborate on those, although I was teaching it to you on how to get along with people that were um, stronger or weaker in our life, you know, that type of thing. But I wanted to go back to it just for a moment to see that it's under a bigger umbrella of just having harmony. The reason we treat one another these ways is because we want harmony. So number one is we need to accept one another with consideration. That means we consider where they are. We understand that they may not have come further down the road of God's grace in understanding it and living it, and experiencing it fully in their life. God hasn't withheld it from them, but they haven't really taken that. But we accept them where they are, and I'll speak a little bit more to that next week. But for right now, I just want us one more time to say, we accept you, we receive you. And we do it in such a way as saying, Lord, you have given that person to us as a church as a gift. You have trusted that person, wherever he is in his walk with God, as a present to us, yea, as an assignment maybe. And we want to say thank you for them, but it's going to take some work and a lot of time and a lot of prayer and a lot of patience and a whole lot of love. But that's okay because we got all the time on our side. we got all the love from you to do it. And we are now celebrating that you've trusted us with this person, so we're going to accept them. And number two, we want to build them up. So it's not just accept them so everybody just uh, runs around and has their own little anarchy going on in the church. But we also want to build them, but without being offensive as we do that. And I hope we remember that so it's not just accept them. I, I like this phrase. I, I wish I coined it. It's so good. It says, I love you enough to accept you where you are, but I love you more to not leave you there. Did you catch that? 
I love you to accept you where you are, but I love you more to not just leave you there. And so I will dig deep into scripture, I'll dig deep into grace, I'll dig deep in all the help that I can to figure out a way that I won't force growth out of you, but that I could create an environment that will nurture growth out of you. And we covered all of that even last week. So now we're in a new section. This is number three, the third mark of a church in harmony. And that is, um, we want to please one another. And I like it because this portion really puts Christ at the center of it as our example to please one another. Now, it'll explain to us a couple of principles here, a few principles that might really help us. But let me just uh, come back to that idea of pleasing one another. I know you want to. I, I know you like doing that. Because most of you that do Christmas, you do Christmas with the idea of, um, I want to buy just the right gift so I can please that person at just the right price so that it'll be a well-worth item. I can get something real cheap and it'll please them or I can get them something really expensive. So I want to get it at the right price that works best for both of us. So I want to get the right price. Then I want to get the right gift for the right price for the right person. So I'm not going to give a guy things that a gal would get. I want to make sure what do they really want? What would, they, what would really please them? Let me just give you this off the record, ladies. We really appreciate, us men, we really appreciate the cologne you give us. We really appreciate the clothes you might give us. But we are really pleased when you give us gadgets, all right? When you give us things that we can work with, whether it's technology or stuff we like to work with. We just, you know, men like that. Now, we'll say thank you for that shirt. So glad you got it at the right price at the garage sale. And I, and I am so glad it fits me. So you had me in mind. I get all of that. But boy, if you can get me a gadget, you know, maybe like a... Harley or something like that. Well, let me move on. So the idea, again, is we do want to please people. But why don't we take that into the next realm to say, you know, we've got this odd fellow in our midst, in our church, and um, now we want to please him. What can we do to please him? Remember, because pleasing that person, creating an environment where it makes it safe for me then to speak into his life, to build him up, makes it all better for everyone. So I want to see how can I really please him without obviously compromising theology and compromising uh, biblical principles of Christian living. So I want to look to that for just a moment about how important it is and how much it makes us better when we feel like we have been pleased by the one who really loves us. So let me go through a couple of things here that might help you and how do we please one another biblically. So the first one is, is we need to show an obligation for others. In other words, what we're talking about here is you feel the weight. I feel the weight of wanting to please this person and you're going to kind of get into their life. Notice the verse, and I'm using a little different translation than I normally do. Maybe this will help you a little bit, so follow along. It says, we who are strong, which probably in our church, hopefully we won't have a lot of pride, but we'll admit most of us are pretty strong. We've walked with the Lord a long time. We've committed to him as our Savior, but also now as our Lord, and we want to grow. So we who are strong, it says ought to. See the phrase ought to there? That has that, that weight of, I owe a debt, because someone who was strong, came to me and pleased me in my walk with the Lord. I ought to. I have a burden. I have a debt. I have a responsibility. I have an obligation. And then it says to bear. Now, obviously, we need what the word bear means. It means basically to pick up or to carry a burden. Now, when I looked at that, I thought about that in Scripture, and there's a lot of times the word bear is like, I'll, I'll bear a burden. You might be carrying a heavy water pitcher. I'll bear that burden. 
So in a sense, these people that are coming in that are weaker than we are, failing maybe in certain areas, stretched out in their walk with God because they're so young and making so many mistakes, what we're doing now is we're knowing that they're encumbered with all of that stuff in their life, all those obstacles and weights in their life, and so we feel obligated to please them, to come alongside them and see what we can do to kind of help them remove some of that. And the translation says, with their failings of the week, and people can fail for a lot of different reasons. A lot of people that hurt you, really, is because they're already hurting, because hurting people hurt people. Did you catch that? Hurting people hurt people. So they're already failing because they have been hurt. So now they're hurting others. So what you want to do is to bear the responsibility to come alongside them to help them overcome their hurts, hang-ups, and habits, as one person once said. So we want to carry that into their life. And sometimes what you do, you say, well, how do I really do all of that? Well, I believe it is by looking at that person and just respect them as being a person. They're created in the image of God. They're in the mind of God before they're in their mother's womb. God allowed them to live this long to come into your life. And so they are a human being now that is very important to God. And I could make a big sermon just on the fact Jesus even died for that person. But more than that, you also want to respect their beliefs. Now when I say respect their beliefs, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with their beliefs. But listen to their beliefs. Understand maybe how they arrived at their beliefs and why they think and do the things that they do so that you have a better understanding. And so maybe that will help you posture yourself better into knowing how to speak into their life. Now, you're hearing all of this and you're saying, that's really good, but man, that's a big task. Yeah, that's a big task. It's take a long time. And it goes back to other sermons. It says you need to stop doing some of the stuff you're doing that are so just surfacey stuff in your life so you have time to do the big things which is to bear the burden of a weaker brother or sister in Christ, we who are stronger, to do that. Let's look at number two. In other words, if I'm going to give a gift to someone, my gift is to please them, and my gift is going to be wrapped up with showing obligation for them, but it's also going to demonstrate a self-sacrifice for others. That's a huge word, a self-sacrifice. Some of us have enough money so we don't have to sacrifice our time and our energy. We just throw money at the problem or the issue. And then some have very little money and so they have to sacrifice some stuff and that really struggles with them because uh, they begin to think nobody sacrificed for me. Well, we have to start somewhere and we're going to do that. Demonstrate self-sacrifice. Let's go back to the verse. The end of verse 1 and the, all of verse 2 it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So circle the word not. And it's so interesting, it didn't say to please them first and then ourselves. Now I think that could fit in there, but I think what he's really doing is developing a disciplined mindset that we are so much wanting to please someone else that there is no compromise, there is no clouding of the issue that I'll please him if I'm being pleased too. Then it's really not a total gift. It's kind of like a, you shake my hand or you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of a thing. So that's why I say we please others and not ourselves, which means the other person really does come before us and there is going to be a full sacrifice. Now, it goes a little bit further. It says each of us should please his neighbor. Now, if you want to, you might want to circle the phrase each of us because in the first verse, it says we who are strong. Now he's kind of given a little gig to those that are failing, the little weaker brother here, and he's saying each of us should please his neighbor. So it's not just a one-way street. We ought to all grow up and learn how to please each other. And I think when he said each of us, Paul is saying even me who is an apostle, a prophet, and a teacher, 
that I need to do this too, should please his neighbor. Now, what am I to please my neighbor in? You can put a number one by this, for his good. In other words, what I'm doing, it should add value to his life. So it's not merely just enough. Uh, he's not washing his car, so I'll wash his car for him. Now, it's not that. It, but what you're doing for him is adding value. The purpose of doing this is to do something in a special way. Now, that may be a bridge into something, but make sure, though, that the idea is, is this really good for him? And then the second is, it says, and to build him up. So in some measure, again, it's good for him, and the other goal is to build him up. So take time in your mind, your prayer time. I'm coming alongside this guy. What would be good for him? How can I please him? This would be good if I do this for him. And how can this really build him up? And some of you don't discount the dynamic of prayer because you're going to need God's wisdom and discernment per person, per event, per situation to do this. But it's coming out of your core belief that this is who you are and what you want to do. Let's look at the third part of our gift to them. All right, we're going to show an ab obligation. We feel the ownership of it, the weight of it, the responsibility of it. Secondly, we're going to self-sacrifice for others. That means sometimes we're going to have to give up our own way, our own time, our own uh, talent, money to help that person. But number three is to conform to Christ as our example. And that's why I said Christ is the center of this message. It's not just us being do-gooders around the world. It's Christ is at the center. Now this is so beautiful. It says, for even Christ did not please himself. It didn't say Christ pleased himself first or Christ said I'll please myself later or I'll please myself a little less than you. It says for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults or the reproaches of those who insult you have fallen on me. Basically that's uh, n not real complicated. It's just like saying this. If you will look up here. I, I, I'll try to make it as clear as I can. What he's saying is here, I didn't please myself. I was God. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.